Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Charles Roteblut. Charles, you're ready to do this. I sure am. Excellent. Let's do this. Charles is a CFA. He is a vice president at the American Association of Individual Investors. He's a Wall Street Journal expert panelist, a frequent contributor to numerous outlets, and a speaker and an author. I'm excited to have you on. Charles, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm Chicago-based here. Um, I've lived all over the country. Uh, personal, um, tend to be a person who loves movies. I uh, actually just saw Captain Marvel over the weekend. Nice. Um, I also did a stair climb. I did 180 floors uh, for the American Lung Association. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think you know one thing I'll say about it. We talk a lot about personal life, about financial, but I think one of the things in general is that people also need to think about their health. Um, I'm, I'm very much into working out, uh, yoga, stair climbing, uh, resistance training, and I think all that stuff's really important uh, health-wise because the healthier you are, the less medical bills you you will hopefully incur. Uh, which and it also just frees up your minds and allows you to get a lot of stress out. So I think all that holistic stuff really can play a positive role in terms of how people manage their portfolios and really the overall decisions they make. Well, I, I appreciate and respect that very much. Like the more we can keep ourselves moving, the better. So, so, Absolutely. So the American Association of Individual Investors, it's a nonprofit organization, and I think that you can um, you can clarify a little bit, but the mission is investor education. Is that right? It is, and really our goal is to make uh, individual investors better managers of their own portfolio. Uh, we were founded in 1978 by a professor at DePaul University, uh, and at the time there really wasn't much available uh, for individual investors. Um, obviously now uh, you see brokerage firms gain individual investor education. Um, there's information on the web, but when you go back 40 years, there really wasn't anything. Um, and since that time, we've really tried to be an objective source of information. We continue to, to be so. Um, and our goal really is to take all the information that's out there, uh, present it in a way that people can understand and they can use, and really again, really empower people so they can make better decisions and really become more effective managers of their portfolio, uh, regardless if they're doing everything themselves, um, if they're having everything run through a personal advisor, a financial planner, or somewhere in the middle, uh, our goal is really just to empower individual investors. Which is an incredible goal and I think a necessary one, but no small feat. Talk about trying to look at the world or universe of information that's available and then distill it down to perhaps how do you even go th go about that process with so much information and there's different schools of thought? Do you take um, is it do you, do you, do you take a line on active versus passive? How how do you guys make decisions on what information you're going to put forth? 
We really try to cover really everything and really try to provide a universal outlook. Um, as an organization, uh, we are value-based because over the long-term value investing works, uh, but we don't want to necessarily cloud the picture and tell people you only have to be value investing. And I'm a really big believer that people should invest uh, according to their personality. And there's even some research that's, that says based on your genetics, um, and the environment you grew up in, you might be actually slanted towards either value or growth. Uh, and I think people need to recognize what kind of investor they are and not try to put a square peg in a round hole. So we do try to provide uh, various voices uh, from various experts, um, our own voices, and really give people the information and allow them to choose, but also present it in a way where they can hopefully grasp the information and be in a position where they can pick and choose what makes sense to them, what might work well, given their personality, uh, given their financial situation. So the big thing for us is we do look holistically, what haven't we revisited in a while, um, what's new that we need to discuss, um, but also making sure that we do provide different voices in the magazine so people can have the information uh, to make good decisions for themselves. Well, I, I very much appreciate that. I think that if you are not invested according to your personality or I don't, I don't want to use a throwaway term like risk tolerance, but even if you intellectually understand that I should be, if I'm 30 years old, I should probably be more aggressively invested. If when the market goes down, it's going to make you uncomfortable, you're not going to be able to sleep very well, that's not the right investment for you. So I think that that's really, really important. How do you counsel people to figure that out? Well, it's interesting you brought that up because whenever I speak, one of the first slides that I show um, really talks about the optimal strategy. And what I tell people, this is not the strategy that's going to give you the highest returns. Um, it's not the strategy uh, that's going to give you the most amount of portfolio income. It's always a strategy that you can stick with no matter if we're having a market like we did in 2017, which is very strong, double-digit gains. Or we had a market like we had last year where we had two corrections. Um, it's that same environment that one strategy you can stick with. And it really, I think, comes down to knowing what type of investor you are. Um, as we speak, for instance, we're 10 years past the very bottom of the uh, financial crisis bear market bottom. And I think it's a good exercise for people to go back, look at their statements, and just see what did they do at that time. Did they panic? Uh, were they aggressively buying? Uh, and I think it's important to at least have those boundaries, write down what you're doing. Um, and I think in general, one of the most effective things people can do is simply just keep a log of what you're doing, uh, what's driving your decisions, what are you making, and then start adjusting your system accordingly. Um, for some people, that might mean you know, putting yourself on a diet as far as how often you look at the market. Uh, for some people, rebalancing might work. I'm a big believer in rebalancing myself. Um, some people are perfectly comfortable having an allocation of 90%, 100% to stocks. Um, I've heard of value managers who've gone through several big drawdowns, several large drops in the portfolios, and they just hold the line because they know at the end of the day they're going to be much higher up. And it's psychologically, it's hard to do that. And it's very easy when you hear people presenting strategies to think, I can follow that. Uh, but I always encourage people to think about who you're listening to and ask yourself, how well do you know that person? And what do you really know about that person's tolerance for risk? And 
this is really where the behavioral standpoint comes into is just knowing your risk and thinking about what triggers you to do certain things and what can you set up to block making those triggers. And like I said, it can be simply as putting yourself on a diet as far as how frequently you look at your brokerage account. Um, I once had a friend of mine ask me, he's like, well, what do you have saved for retirement? And I looked at him and I said, I, I don't know. And he looked at me puzzled. like, you work in finance. How can you not know? And my response was, it doesn't matter. I just focus on the process. Is my allocation right? Am I saving regularly? And I know that if I do those things right, focus on the process, maintain the allocation, making those correct savings decisions, if the market performs somewhat near to what it's done historically, I'll be fine. And so what I have right now really doesn't matter as much as what I do between now and the time I retire. And it's really just having that process and continuing to stick to it. Um, and I realize that might sound odd to people, but that really is your key is getting that process down that works for you and sticking to it no matter what happens. Now, I think that that's – I think the best information a lot of the time is oftentimes the simplest information, uh, but we don't necessarily live in a culture or society that, that, that values that. We, we want complexity, and certainly the financial industry in general I think really likes complexity – or wants to push forward complexity. So everything, and maybe I'm wrong. That's just my perception of it. But I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that your your example of talking about it, like 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 being on a diet and how frequently are you actually checking your account, I think is is, is awesome and extremely valuable. So I think that that makes sense. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what what do you wish that more people knew about investing, and would it be Simply what you just said, just making sure that you have a good, solid process that you understand and is appropriate for you? You know, I think from my end, I think it would really be two things. I think one, having a really strong understanding of market history, um, what's happened in the past, what's worked in the past. Um, there's that old saying that those who do not understand history are, are doomed to repeat it. Um, and I think it's important to realizing that we've seen bubbles. We've seen manias like we've like occurred with cryptocurrencies. Um, we've seen dramatic pullbacks in the market. We've seen high levels of volatility. Um, we've also seen a reward to sticking to the market, to stocks over the long term, um, but also periods where they have underperformed for, say, a lost decade. Um, so I think just simply understanding what historically is normal, um, I think, helps set people's expectations accordingly and helps them actually really think about how they should be allocating their portfolio as opposed to reacting to the news of the day or reacting to how the market's performed in any given year. Um, I think the other thing is really understanding the role behavior played. Um, and we're starting to see uh, plays. Uh, we're starting to see a greater influence of this. Um, certainly the Nobel Prize Committee has awarded uh, awarded Nobel Prizes to Richard Thaler, to Robert Schiller, to Daniel Kahneman. Um, and I think that's good, but a lot of our decisions are really behavioral driven. Um, and I tend to make a lot of analogies to weight loss because a lot of our decisions concerning what we eat um, is often tied to emotions and behavior factors um, and investing the same way. And I think if people really understand how much emotions play, how much emotions play in the role, uh, play a role in portfolio decisions, it might actually make them more cognizant of what they're doing um, and what steps they need to actually take. Um, and like I said, a, a perfect example I like to use is um, 
I don't keep Ben and Jerry's in the refrigerator at home because I'll open the door and I'll eat it with the refrigerator door open, pine one hand, spoon in the other. <laughs> um, and, and it's the same thing with investing. If you're if you have a say an app on your phone that gives you alerts throughout the day, you probably are going to be more tempted to trade more frequently and make more frequent decisions. So, um, I think people just and people just understand how that type of thing plays. Um, how knowing the markets are down might influence them to pull out of stocks or seeing that certain stocks are doing really well, how they might be tempted to go chasing after them, uh, to really just understand those key concepts. Um, and again, to go back to that process and think to themselves, well, this is what tempts me to do certain things. How do I set up obstacles so I don't do it? Got it. Yeah. The more we can put those uh, <clears throat> guardrails in place, probably the better. And the more we can, the more we can avoid our brain play, playing tricks on us, probably the better too. I saw that you recently wrote um, a post or an article about overconfidence bias. Is is that one of the big ones, or what are some of the really big biases that people should be cognizant of? Yeah, overconfidence is a big one, and even uh, Daniel Kahneman has said that. Um, and it, it's really interesting because he's doing a lot of research right now into decision making. Um, and I heard him talk about this last year um, at the Morningstar Investment Conference that uh, even when you have experts uh, making decisions, they don't always make the correct decisions. And one of the things he talked about, um, he did a study with an insurance company he was consulting on, uh, gave a bunch of claim adjusters the same scenario, asked them to actually appraise the claim, uh, and the estimates weren't even close. Uh, there's two groups, and they I don't remember the percentage, but it was a massive percentage. Um, and so I think when people you know, people have to realize they're overconfident. Um, they tend to make snap decisions. Um, they also tend to think they're ma doing the right thing. Um, and one thing Conan's really focusing on is what he calls noise, all these outside factors uh, that influence our decisions that really shouldn't be influencing our mindset. Um, for, exam for example, there's been studies about conference calls showing that when a conference call's held midday, Analysts tend to make more bearish reports and say more bearish things about the company's results. Now, why should time of the day have anything influ any influence on the analyst's decisions? Well, maybe they're a little bit tired. Maybe they're hungry for lunch. But if they're being paid to make objective decisions, that shouldn't influence their what they're saying about the company. So I think for a lot of people, realizing it's not just overconfidence, but also, just not realizing that there are outside factors influencing their decision, and so they might think themselves on oh, this great decision maker, when reality is there's a lot of noise influencing their decisions. Um, and I think one of the best things people can do is, is simply create a checklist, have a task list that every time you go to make a decision about your portfolio, you're going to make yourself go through steps one, two, three, four, how many there are. And have that systematic approach to investing because that's a good way of counteracting your overconfidence by making you work through the problem, making yourself work through all the scenarios, all the questions that need to be answered, as opposed to just thinking, I've invested for a long time. I know what I'm doing. I can spend three minutes on this and make my decision and go. It, you actually want to be more systematic and slow down a little bit more. Oh, I think that that makes a ton of sense. Is there a scenario that, that you can walk me through that, that – like um, 
just just a scenario, and then you can use the actual steps that you would counsel somebody to go through on that checklist. If there was bad news about a stock or good news about a stock, give me an example. Yeah, and so one of the things we do actually, I'll use one newsletter I, I actually uh, run is our VMQ stocks portfolio. It's value, momentum, and quality, um, and it's a quantitative strategy. So we're we're actually looking for stocks with low valuations and high momentum. But one of the things I do, um, because screens by themselves are very effective stock screens, but they only know to look for what's what quantitative criteria they're told to look for. Um, so one of the things I do when, when a company passes and I think it might look attractive is I'll actually go to the income statement, look at the trend in revenues, look at the trend in income. Is it rising? Is it falling? Um, have there been big changes? If I see, say, a sudden drop three years ago, that'll be a prompt for me to go look at the SEC filing, the annual report 10K, and what happened that year? Was there something unusual? Was there a divestiture or was there something else? Um, I'll do that. Um, I'll look at the trends and profit margins. Um, I'll look at the balance sheets. Um, I always look at the cash flow statement. And I always encourage people to go look at the cash flow statement. And at the bare minimum, just look at the very top section, cash from operating activities, and make sure that's positive most years. That should be if you look at a seven-year period, that should be positive at least six of the seven. Um, if it's not, that tells you the company's spending more money to run this business than it's actually bringing in. Um, I do look at the current news. Um, I think the company's investor relations website is an underused asset. Um, people who are looking at a stock, just type in the company's name, type in investor relations into Google or your favorite search engine, and just scan through the news, scan through the presentations, um, I'll go through the conference call transcript, trying to see what management's saying on it. Uh, but then I also go to the SEC website, and I look at the following 10K, um, and I want to skim through it, and you're, I'm just really looking for something that seems odd. Um, and when I say odd, it's really the, the smell test. If something smells fishy to you, then it probably is. Uh, and it's not just one uh, single thing, but to give people an example, um, Years ago, I was looking at DSW, um, and they had made a sale, or they bought, brought, they actually bought a company that was owned by some of the boards of directors. And I'm not saying that it wasn't done at arm's length. I'm not saying that what a fair price wasn't paid for the business, but as an outsider, not knowing anything else, uh, not knowing anything else about the company, I paused. I'm like, well, how do I actually know? this was done at fair value versus some sweetheart deal that benefited somebody in the company right. on the side. Um, and so I think just going through steps like that, trying to look for some red flag um, can make a decision between keeping a stock or getting rid of a stock. Now, if the stock scores well on my criteria and I don't see any red flags doing that, then I will add the stock because I will trust the screen over my own emotions. But this is a, a process that I can repeat time after time and have a clear reason for why I may pass on a stock. Well, that's excellent. Thank you so much for that. Well, Charles, sure. Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I think the big thing is have a notebook and just write things down. Write what you're doing. Write your decisions. Um, track what stocks you sold. Um, the best thing people can do is just really have a notebook. And it's not just me. Daniel Kahneman, uh, the Nobel Prize winner, was once asked, what's the most effective thing an investor can do? And he said, go down to your local discount store, 
buy a notebook and just start keeping track of everything you do. Oh. Um, that little thing will make a world of difference in your investment decisions. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Charles, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Sure. So our website is AAII.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Charles R A A I I. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Charles your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out the website, AAII.com, and follow Charles on Twitter. I'll list both of those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Charles. My pleasure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.